Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Well, as we go to God's Word today, um, we're in the book of Matthew. So if you want to turn over there to Matthew chapter 7, that's where we're going. And uh, I don't know if you have a favorite Bible verse. Um, many, of, many of us have, have chosen favorite Bible verses or life verses. But the verse that we're going to look at today and, and the, you know, the section of verses is actually the most misinterpreted and misquoted scripture in all of the Bible. Not only by people that don't know Jesus, but I would say even sometimes more by Christians, unfortunately. And, uh, and so as we, as we look at the scripture today in Matthew 7, verse 1, if you've gotten there already, you'll, you'll see what, uh, what scripture it is. But uh, is, is, are these words in the Bible? Yes. Did Jesus say them? Yes. But man, have we misused them? Absolutely. I don't know if you've ever had someone come up to you and say, man, I just, I just feel like you're judging me. Or don't, don't you know what the Bible says? Judge not that you be not judged. Or man, I, I don't know if it's your place to, to say anything. Man, don't, don't judge me like that. Don't be so judge, judgmental. What we're talking about is Jesus' words here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. And so what I want to help us together today as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount is I want us to understand Jesus' words. And I want to help us try and, try and understand how, how do we interpret this passage of Scripture that's been often misquoted, misunderstood, um, and how, how do we let it lead us to love people that we have a tendency to think that maybe we're better than. Because oftentimes the accusation that comes against Christians is often that they are judgmental. And I'd say oftentimes that's correct. So how do we follow Jesus' command when he says, judge not that you be not judged? And we're going to look at that today. Um, and so let's, uh, let's pray that his word would impact our lives and, um, and that, uh, that we would be changed in the way that we respond to people and relate to people um, that we would be the hands of, and feet of Jesus in that way. So let's, let's pray together, and uh, let's then get into the Scripture. Father, thank you for these words. Lord, we've got a lot to understand this morning. And so, God, we, we know that as your word goes forth, um, God, it doesn't return void. But, Lord, we want it to go forth in a way that is correct and in a way that we understand and can be changed by it. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would just interpret your word for us today, and um, that uh, you would allow me as a vessel to just communicate it rightly, Lord, and communicate the intent behind your word as you gave it. We love you. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, open up Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start at verse 1. And read all the way through verse 6, okay? And what we do here at Valley Church is we just like to read through sections of Scripture and we practice what's called expositional preaching. So we like to try and expose what the text is saying. Not try and bring our own ideas, but try and take, take what Scripture says and try to understand it and then apply it to our lives. So that's what we're going to be doing. Um, Matthew 7, it says at the beginning, 
Jesus is speaking, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. This is God's word to us. What I want to teach us uh, this morning is four things. First of all, I want to teach us what does judge not mean? Um, Second, how we can judge rightly. Third, how to know when it's time to move on, and fourth, what we should never move on from. Okay, we're going to try and cover those, those four things together today. But first, let's, let's just, as we look at verse 1, um, what did Jesus mean when he said, Judge not that you be not judged. And so as, as we began here with, with this text, what we recognize is this is often a verse that actually most, most people that don't know the Bible know this verse somehow, and they'll use this verse as a weapon against Christians, or just, uh, just as like a, you know, a statement just to hope, hope that Christians and other people would just leave them alone and let them do what they want, or just use to justify their own actions. But man, as we said, we got to be careful about quoting scripture out of context. And so what we need to examine is the context here. Satan, he knows the Bible, better than you do, better than, than most people. And so when even um, when you see that he tempted Jesus, what did he use? He used scripture to tempt him. How did Jesus answer back? He answered back using scripture. The devil used scripture out of context. Jesus used scripture in context. And so in order to understand this, we need to also go to the scripture to examine and see, is this consistent with the rest of the witness of Scripture? Is there other Scriptures that can help us interpret how we respond? I think it's pretty clear what we have right here, but we're going to actually look at some other things that will help strengthen how we understand what what Jesus is saying to us. So what's the context um, here? Jesus, as we've been teaching, is, um, is preaching his message on the kingdom of God. It's uh, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and we've entitled the series we've been going through, The Way. Um, he's been basically giving a manifesto of what his, what his kingdom is all about, the values of his kingdom, the way of followers of Jesus, the way of people that, um, that are following Jesus, that are living for the kingdom of God. And he's showing us what his kingdom is like. And, and uh, if you look back to where it began in chapter 5, it began with Jesus teaching on the Beatitudes, these blessed are statements, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful. Um, he was talking about just our, our spiritual poverty and our need for him because of, because of our sin. You know, all, all in all, what, what we know from Scripture is that we're made in the image of God, and yet because of the fall, because of Satan entering into the world and tempting us to be our own God, 
all of us who have been created to reflect God because of our sin, when we, whenever we sin, we don't reflect the image of God in us. And what God is showing us is, here's how you can reflect my image. Here's what my kingdom is all about. He moves on into the, the you have heard it said statements. He talks about anger and murder, thinking murderous thoughts in our hearts. He reveals our own sinfulness in that way. He talks about lust and adultery. He talks about marriage and, and divorce. He talks about taking oaths, truthfulness, okay? And so if you, if you take all these topics and, and you're like, okay, Jesus is telling us how we've been made in God, God's image and what his kingdom is like, each of these topics he, he's revealing, God is a God of, of love, He's, he's not a God that, that wants, wants death. He's a God of life. Um, he's not, not a God that um, is unfaithful. He, he's a God of faithfulness. And that's why he gave us the example of marriage. And so anytime that there's divorce, it breaks the image that God has created in that. He's just revealing that, that man, on our own, we have a tendency to, to break what God created to be beautiful and what he gave to us as being good, okay? Just reveals, man, we're, we're fallen, okay? When he talks about oaths, he reveals that God is truthful, okay? And that's what he wants his kingdom to be. And so all these things are leading up to what Jesus is going to say. In the last few weeks, um, we covered Jesus then teaching on loving your enemies, um, te- teaching on giving to the needy, his, his teaching on prayer and fasting, laying up treasure in heaven. And then lastly, um, with Precious and Virginia the last couple weeks, they did a masterful job just expressing the heart of, heart of love that the Father has. And so all these things have been leading up to what Jesus says right here. And some people think, man, Jesus seems to be taking like a, like a 180 turn in this sermon, and, and like he's saying, judge not that you be not judged. And they think that it's totally out of the blue. Like, where did this come from, Jesus? This doesn't seem like it goes with the rest of your sermon. But what I'm here to tell you is this is directly in line with the message that he's been preaching. And so we got to understand Jesus' words in context that, man, he's, he's showing us, man, blessed are you when you see your own fallen state and your need for me. And then you apply that when you relay that to others as well. When you're tempted to be judgmental toward others, you got to first be reminded, man, look at yourself. Remember what you've been forgiven of, because that's going to impact then how you go about trying to help someone else find Jesus. And that's where we're going today. Um, this judge not that you be not judged statement is one that, that Jesus gave um, so that we could measure if we are approaching someone with the heart of Christ. And so I have a, a kind of a sticky statement that kind of, uh, you know, it, it expresses basically the heart of what Jesus is saying. I'll have it up on the screen. It says that the way in which we should judge the lives of other people should be consistent with the way in which we also have been judged by God and received his mercy and his grace. Now, the judgment of Scripture so far has been, we don't measure up to God's standard. But praise God, the gospel is that Jesus provides us a Savior. 
And so whenever we approach someone who is also living in sin, we don't approach them with a holier-than-thou attitude that we're better than them. No, we approach with humility and with truth and with grace, saying, Jesus saved me from this, and he can save you from that. Here's God's best. Would you follow, follow along with Jesus in this life? Because he wants heaven for you. That's the message of God here in, in Scripture. And so when we look at this passage, first verse, judge not that you be not judged. As we said, people like to take the statement. They like to twist it. They like to use it to justify what their actions are. They like to use it as like a condemning jab at Christians to say, man, you, you don't have any place to tell me what's right or wrong. That's not what Jesus meant. Because not only is it not consistent with all that Jesus already said, but then it's not consistent with what Jesus was going to say in the rest of chapter 7. And um, we got a couple people preaching coming up, and they're going to expose that as well. But here in the rest of chapter, chapter 7, Jesus is expressing. He's saying, okay, take the log out of your own eye, and you'll be able to help your brother with the speck in his. Is, does that require a judgment? Absolutely. He's saying, um, he says later on in chapter 7, um, he's talking about false prophets. How do you know a false prophet? He says, you'll recognize them by their fruit. Inspect the tree. Look at the fruit. If the fruit is bad, that means that they are bad. Okay, what, what they're doing is bad. And so does that require judgment? Absolutely. And so interpreting judge not that you be not judged as an absolute condemnation to examining the lives of other people and measuring people by the scripture um, is, is not a correct way to understand this. And so as we go on to this next, um, next part, I think what Jesus' heart is then teaching us, how do you take the word of God, take my words here, and not be judgmental, but judge rightly? How do we as Christians do that? And that, that's a big question for us today, because this gets down to practical matters for us, and uh, maybe areas where if you've maybe left the church or gone away from the church for a while because you just felt judged or felt like Christians were judgmental. Um, it's something that we need to grow in in order to especially just portray the heart of God for people, um, but also um, just, just be the church here in our valley and maybe heal from some of the mistakes that Christians that did not do this, um, you know, just, just heal from that and, and change it. And so how do you judge rightly? How can you judge rightly? Jesus teaches us. Verse 2, let's look at it. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the same measure, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So again, Jesus is not prohibiting us from judging others. He warns us that you should only judge others by a standard by which you are willing to be judged by yourself. Now, I want to just get practical with this and, um, and just give us an, an illustration of what that means. First of all, let me just address something that we're dealing with today. And let's, let's look at ourselves, okay? Oftentimes, Christians, we condemn people over certain sins, okay? Maybe one of those, one of those big issues today is sexual sins. Um, for example, we judge people for the sin that Scripture speaks of that goes against God's design of one man and one woman for life, marriage. So we judge people for homosexuality, 
for transgender behavior, things, things of that nature. Um, we look at things that the LGBTQ community teaches, and we judge that, and we, we look at them, and we look at them as, as you know, perverting what God, God designed to be good, okay? Are we right in expressing that that's against God's design? Yeah, it's the teaching of Scripture. But do they not have the right to also then look at us and turn it around and say, hey, um, I feel like you're judging us by a standard that you don't hold yourselves to. Look at your marriages. Look at the divorce rate among Christians. Look at the pornography use among Christians. Look at the fornication, the, 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 the men and women that, that choose to live together before marriage. Doesn't, I mean, isn't that against God's standard? You're not holding yourself to the same standard by which you're judging us by. And that's, that's the image that we're going to get to of the log in your own eye. Okay, we're going to cover that. But often our tendency, though, is to measure out a teaspoon of grace to others. And we want the dump truck of grace for ourselves. Isn't that, isn't that what we want? And that, that's what Jesus is teaching us against. The same measure you measure to others will be measured to you. And so watch your judgmental heart in that. What Jesus is teaching us is that the proper way to address others is to approach someone with the same love and the same mercy that God has shown to us. And ultimately, our job is to point people to the Lord and to Jesus Christ, who took upon himself our sin and our shame and called people to repentance and to the forgiveness that he offers. That's the gospel. That's what it means to judge rightly. Now, verse 3, keep on reading. Um, it illust- Jesus illustrates this. Um, and so we're going to just read verses 3 through 5 again. He says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, what Jesus is doing, you've heard this before, he's, he's using uh, intentionally funny illustration, okay? He's, he's just exaggerating things. He's saying, man, um, you see a speck in your brother's eye and you get like all nitpicky, like, oh man, you, you got that little speck. But yet when you try and go over to try and examine and try and get that speck, I'm going to pick on you, Jordan, get that speck out of his eye. Man, you got this log sticking in your own eye. And he's like, man, first take the log out of your eye so that then you can see clearly, hey, man, can I help you? Yeah, to take this back out of his eye, all right? Now, first of all, as, as, um, as we understand this, how many of you have ever had something stuck in your eye? I think all of us, yeah, okay. You don't have to raise your hand, okay? But, man, when you get something stuck in your eye, if it's like a wood chip or, you know, a piece of dust or something, doesn't it feel like it's a log? Doesn't it feel huge? Yeah, oftentimes it does. When I was um, our, a kid, uh, our, our family, we, we burned wood for a living. And uh, not for a living, but in the winters. And uh, it just felt like constantly during the summer, it was like, go time. We've got to cut wood. We've got to split it. We've got to stack it. 
And man, you should have seen our backyard. We had a whole long row of stacked wood drying out so that then, fortunately, we could then put it in our basement in the winter and uh, have a supply of wood for the whole winter. And all of us kids were involved. There's five kids in our family, and um, everyone had to help. But uh, namely, myself and my, my, my older brother, Tim, um, we were in charge a lot of times of splitting and stacking the wood. And I can remember one summer as we were doing this that I was splitting a log and wood chips, you know, got, got into my eye. And I, I was just like, it's so annoying. And it's like, it wouldn't go away. And I was just miserable for hours and hours. And I was kept wiping my eye, trying to, trying to get it out. And my mom, my dad, they looked in my eye like, like, and they were trying to get it out and couldn't find anything. And so fortunately, this was like late, later at night, we had a friend who was a doctor. And they, uh, they put me in the van and we went up the road to their house. And he laid me on his kitchen table and he looked in my eye and, and he could see that actually my cornea had been scratched by, by that wood chip. And so he was able to then keep my eye open and, and put some kind of drops in my eye to relieve me of all the pain that I was going through. And man, <laughs> I, I can't remember being, feeling so much relief after him helping me in that way. All that to say is, is Jesus' illustration with getting something in your eye I think we understand it, that, um, man, if, if we have something in our eye, we want help. We really do. But, man, you do no good to someone if you're blinded and you can't see and your eye is all dripping and all full of pus and all that gross stuff when you get something in your eye. You do no good to someone to try and help them if you've not taken care of yourself first. And that, that's what Jesus is, is teaching here. He's addressing the hypocrisy and the judgmental spirit by which we see others' sin as bigger than our own. And this is why Jesus says he, he wants you to look at yourself first. Take care of yourself first. Come to a place of repentance and submission. And ask God to remove that log from your own eye before trying to tell others about their life. And that's, that's where I think we need need to be warned a little bit. And I, I need to, to just, just encourage you around this subject because um, I, I think it's good to know the scripture and obviously know what God's standard is. But man, if you try and apply that standard to someone else without applying it to yourselves, you're a hypocrite. And that's what Jesus is saying. Um, be careful, especially that you're not judgmental toward people who are dealing with things that you don't currently deal with. Say, for instance, um, we use statements like, oh, I would never I'd never do that. I would never be addicted to that. I would never do that to my wife or my kids. Or, or um, you know, I, I would never be tempted to do that. Be careful about those I would never statements. Because the reality is, Scripture says, Therefore, if anyone thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. And so, so the warning of Scripture to us is be careful about being too prideful about what you don't struggle with right now. Because things may change in your body. Things may change in, um, you know, your family situation. Um, things may change financially. And, and, you know, things can tempt you. Different situations can tempt you toward different, 
different things, different people that may be around you or different things going on in your body. And so sometimes never shows up, not because you asked for it, but because you let it in, you opened a door for it. In your marriage, it may start out small, but sometimes never shows up there. Sometimes never shows up in your, in your body or with addictions because you open the door to that. Maybe you weren't looking for it, but some small step, some small mistake, some small slip-up led to bigger and bigger things, okay? Sometimes never shows up there. Sometimes never shows up in, in your emotions. And so when you approach someone with a sin issue, just remember you have your own sins that you struggle with, but for the grace of God. And it doesn't excuse them, but it does give you proper perspective that when you go to them, when you approach them on that, that you realize that you yourself struggle with the same things. Maybe, maybe they're different, okay? People often use the phrase, love the sinner, hate the... Yeah, you guys know this. Love the sinner, hate the sin, okay? It's not in the Bible, so we know that. But I think it's a helpful statement in some ways because, um, you know... We know how that's possible because of how we treat, the, treat ourselves, don't we? We are okay with ourselves, but sometimes we hate the things that we do. And you feel this tension like, man, I just really wish I could get over that addiction. I really wish I would stop doing that. But yet it doesn't, doesn't cause us to stop loving ourselves or stop caring for ourselves. And that's the same kind of, kind of thing that, you know, when Jesus talks about loving your neighbor as you love yourself, that's the same kind of love that he's, he's teaching us right here is when he talks about judging others. He's talking, man, you, you should have the same love for others as you have the same love as you have that love for yourself. Now, the problem comes when there are people that allow themselves, the Christians especially, that allow themselves to hate others for the sins that they practice. George Horn, um, who was a commentator, he, he wrote on Psalm 139, and he said, We are neither to hate men on account of the vices they practice, that means habitual sins, nor are we to love the vices for the sake of the men who practice them, for the man who practices them. So again, God does not give us permission to hate people. But notice the second part. Nor are we to love the vices for the sake of the man who practices them. Let me just ask you, isn't that the narrative of our culture today, though? Those who would like to misquote the scripture? Things that, that you hear all the time is, man, if you, if you really love me, you will accept me. You will affirm what I'm doing. If you really love me, you'll celebrate my choices. Man, if, if it even gets down into more extreme examples, and I know this is almost everyone's family. You have family members that, man, are, are asking you for this or expecting this from you. If you don't love me and if you don't affirm me, then I may kill myself. And you feel this pressure to, to love them, to affirm them, because you feel like, oh, they're going to kill themselves if I don't do that. And so there's a lot of pressure there, right? Can I just, just tell you, man, I, I feel for you. And I know some of you, as, as you know, in your theology, in your, in your stance on Scripture, you shifted 
and you said, okay, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to believe God on that, or I'm just going to be quiet about this because I don't want them to do that. And I don't want to offend people. I don't, don't want people to be hurt. Okay. But the narrative that they're telling us is, is that man is shaming us, telling us it's bigoted, telling us it's hurtful, telling us, man, um, man, we're, we're violent toward them if we disagree with what they're practicing. Can I just tell you, um, the Bible says you can actually love and you can care for people. You can have compassion on them without approving or affirming of what they do. You can. And honestly, to affirm what God says is, man, against his image, against his good design, that's actually the height of hate toward them. Because what affirming what God says is going to lead them to an eternity separated from God, that's a hateful thing to do. And so, question for us, as we consider the scripture, as we look at our culture today, is how do we as Christians stand on biblical truth and yet disapprove of sin without breaking this command? More and more in our culture, any kind of expression of that sin, this is the clear teaching of scripture, that's not right, is treated for Christians and even for people that don't call themselves Christians as hateful, as bigoted, as unloving, or as homophobic. And as I said, if you, if you just turn on the news, I mean, uh, you even see a recent country song that was put out where a country artist was, man, they, they just wrote a whole narrative about him saying, man, you are, you are hateful, man, you are racist, um, just because of some words about nonviolence in small communities. Um, I, I don't understand it, but that's, that's the kind of thing that happens. I was reading even this week, a lot of us, we watch HGTV. This is just an example of our culture today. Um, Chip and Joanna Gaines, who we know them as followers of Jesus um, and have built a wonderful business um, and, and done some, some really good, clean TV, um, are surrounded on remodeling homes, things like that. A lot of us watch them. Um, actually, a USA Today article said that this home improvement couple who rose to fame on HGTV, the show Fixer Upper, they faced scrutiny over the last few years over alleged discrimination. In 2016, reports found that the couple who lived near Waco, Texas, attended a church led by a pastor that's been verbally against same-sex marriage. Okay, let's, let's just examine that. Chip and Joanna, who attend this church, are, are being accused of discrimination because their pastor teaches the Bible. Think about that. Um, I, as your pastor, am here in this position to teach the scripture. And, and what do we have if we don't have the truth of God's word? If I, if I don't communicate the, the beauty of, of marriage, the beauty of sexuality, male and female that God designed, the beauty of life, um, you know, that, that we teach against even things like, like abortion, that we teach against, you know, things that are against God's design when it comes to, to perversions of it. Man, we, we want to teach the scripture, but yet there are people in our world that are saying, that's, that's discrimination if you teach the scripture. 
it doesn't mean that you're discriminating against people just by, just by reading the Bible, just by trusting in Scripture. Um, God does not discriminate. God does not show partiality. We are not to show partiality. Even if someone practices a different lifestyle that we disagree with, it does not mean that we're discriminating against them. Chip and Joanna themselves, they said, man, we, we have hundreds of employees, all of different lifestyles, and yet we're, we don't show discrimination of hiring them or, or you know, keeping them on. Man, we, we work for a number of wonderful, wonderful people and um, with a number of wonderful people. And, and it's not their heart to discriminate, but that's what our culture says is discrimination. If you show any kind of disagreement with the sexual progressive ideology that is prevalent in our day. So think about that when it comes to culture. And can I, can I just encourage you and warn you, there is going to come a day when your fellowship with Valley Church and maybe, maybe it may come soon. Maybe for some of you it's already happened. Maybe um, because of something that I say from the pulpit that you are going to be scrutinized. You're going to receive the same kind of discrimination happen toward you. You're going to feel a lot of pressure to cave to the progression of culture. Let me just even expose this. If you think about what's happened in the last 10 years, not to um, say that this is everything or the main thing, but man, if you think about the pressure that Christians are under um, and our society is under 10 years ago, what was the popular thing to do is to come out of the closet, wasn't it? But yet after 10 years, what are we now by a community that says that they embrace openness and love and fairness and non-discrimination and conversation? What do they want to do to Christians? put them in the closet. And that's the position we find ourselves, guys. And so in love, as, as your pastor, I want us to just, um, just not approach our society and our culture with love and with grace. How do we, as I asked, speak to our culture in a way that is becoming more and more polarized, hateful, and prideful? Three words I want to give you. If you want to write them down, they may be helpful coming up in whatever you might face. The first word, and I want us to really understand this, this word is the word truth. The word truth. We have to stand on the truth of Scripture. We need to speak it. The opinions and the standards of our culture are constantly changing. What is our standard today will not be the standard of our culture 10 years from now or 10 years after that. But does the Scripture change does the truth of the Bible change? No, it's a sure foundation. And so, so don't be afraid of it. Don't be embarrassed by it. And if you, if you bring your Bible to work or you tell people that you're a follower of Jesus, don't be embarrassed by that. Be joyful that, that you know the truth. You know, all truth is God's truth. And sometimes, sometimes science and, and, and society just, man, they, they willingly suppress the truth because they don't know what God, they don't want what God has for them. And we are fighting spiritual forces of darkness, I'll tell you that. 
It's not just that people just, just want to not believe. No, there are demons that are oppressing people that are speaking lies to them. And I don't want to scare you, but that is the spiritual world we live in. Satan is alive. He is active trying to deceive. He is a liar. So don't be, don't, don't be surprised when people are deceived as well. Speak the truth. Don't be embarrassed by it. Don't be ashamed by it. Stand on it. Second, um, but, but truth in another way, I, I think this is also important. What I mean by truth in the other way is that not only are we to stand on the scripture, but also when it comes to speaking about others, especially those that we disagree with or that, or that verbally are, are uh, disagreeing with us um, or would like to attack us, we need to speak the truth about them as well. We do. Sometimes Christians use phony arguments against people that they disagree with. It's called a straw man. They extrapolate something bigger and bigger and bigger, okay? Even something, I'll, I'll just say this, and you know, I've done my research, and you can tell me something else. I, I don't know, but um, it just seemed like last year, on Facebook, there were things flying around about litter boxes in their school system, right? For, for furries. Now, is that true? According to my research, no, it wasn't true. But yet, this stuff was flying around on social media. In my opinion, that was a phony argument, something that was made up from what I could see if somebody started this on Facebook, and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And people like Christians, they were like, oh yeah, we got to fight against that. We can't let that happen. And yeah, that, that furry thing, yeah, that's a, that's a mental disorder, okay? Seriously. But to think that our schools would just put a litter box in the bathroom, that's, that seems to me like a phony argument. Let's be careful that whatever we pass on, especially on social media, is something that is truthful, that we're speaking the truth about people, even if we disagree them with them. It's important that we understand their arguments even better than they understand them themselves so that we know what we're up against to accurately represent them. Okay, so the first one is truth. Second one is respect, okay? Respect is the second word. And um, did you know that it is possible to respect someone even though you disagree with them? A lot of you people, you know, you, you work with, with people that you disagree with. And did you know that you can have a civilized conversation with them if you'll show some mutual respect to one another? You can, absolutely. Christians, above all, need to show that that is possible. Christians need to show an attitude of love and honor and respect to people that they disagree with. If the first impression that people get from us is that we hate them, we've lost the argument. Think about that. Is that the kind of example that Jesus would have shown to somebody else? Is that, that the impression that people got of Jesus? Oh, Jesus hates me. <laughs> no, he didn't. No, if anything, he was the one that said, let, let them come to me. They're like sheep without a shepherd. I've come to seek and to save the lost. That's what Jesus said. And so, so we never want to give the impression that we hate them because we don't. Okay, we disagree with them, but we do not hate them. And so in, in, in your efforts to stand upon truth, show respect. What did Jesus say? He said, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And I believe when you, when you look at verse 2 of that, 
Um, the measurement that you measure to others will be measured to you. Consider that when you approach someone. Consider that in the statements that you make about people. I want to also just um, just uh, turn over to Second Timothy two because I think it informs how we how we um, look at Scripture. Um, and it says there in Second Timothy chapter two, starting in verse twenty three. I'm sorry, it's not on the screen because I just uh, I just found it yesterday and wanted to share it. It says, "Have nothing to do with foolish." ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind, kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And may God perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. That's a, that's, that's a word we need today, isn't it? We need to, to treat people with respect, but also be bringing them the truth in the hope that God's Spirit might come and grant them repentance for that. Just as he has to you, if you've walked in sin and you've come and you've, you've heard about Jesus and what he can do, um, what he's done for you, and you've repented, and you've trusted in him, man. That's, that's, that's what we want for others. We want people to have the hope of heaven, don't we? Okay? So truth, respect. The third word is this. It's the word humility. Humility. What's the opposite of humility? It's pride. And so if we approach someone, if we, we approach them as if being holier than thou and better than them, and, and uh, man, think, think of ourselves as higher than they are, That is a spirit of pride, and Jesus speaks out against that. If we think that we are better than them, we become the exact thing that we condemn them for. And so consider that truth, respect, and humility when we speak to our culture. The reality is this, and we'll we'll close with this last verse in verse 6. The reality is this, that I think we need to be willing to expect and accept is even if we do all of this right, we treat people with truth and with, with respect and with humility, oftentimes they will still reject us, don't they? And you've been there, I'm sure. That's all right. At least you were faithful and you did your part, even if they didn't reciprocate. And Jesus teaches us, what do you do? What do you do when that happens? Verse 6 is there, and Jesus says, Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and then turn and attack you. So Jesus, his message has been, don't be judgmental, okay? But don't throw away all your discernment either. He's not telling you not to judge. He's telling you not to be judgmental. And to treat people with a standard that you have not submitted yourself to, okay? Now, there's something that's interesting about this. A lot of us have dogs, okay? A lot of us do. Um, I don't know if any of you have pigs. Some of you do, okay? Um, But, you know, dogs and pigs can actually make really good pets, okay? But back in Jesus' day, dogs 
ran wild. When, when the team goes to Guatemala, they're going to go to Guatemala and they're not going to see dogs as pets. They're going to see dogs as rangy mutts, you know, that are actually really, you know, can be really scary. You want to watch out for, watch out for the dogs. If you're going to Guatemala, watch out for the dogs, okay? And pigs back in that day, I mean, they're bacon, okay? And so, <laughs> So, you know, pigs can be a muddy mess. I've got a, I've got a brother-in-law, though, that, man, he has a pig he's raising for bacon, and they can actually be really clean animals, okay? But just so we understand this, back in Jesus' day, they were just like, they were dirty animals. They were, you know, harmful. And, um, and so dogs and swine that Jesus, Jesus talked about, this is hard to understand, but the best I could get was that they referred to Gentiles, um, people that were not of the Jewish faith, um, and also um, the Samaritans, uh, people that because of things that had happened in history had intermarried with Gentiles and became basically half-breeds. And, and they thought very negatively of these people, thought that they were not part of the promises of God. And so what Jesus is using is that he's saying, don't give to dogs what is holy. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. He's taking what they would have said and he turned it around. Because Jesus, in, in his life, his teaching, man, he, he surrounded himself with Gentiles. He surrounded himself with, with Samaritans, didn't he? He brought, he brought them close to him. And so you're like, Jesus, you didn't practice what you said. But I think what he was doing, he was changing the narrative. He was saying, man, the dogs and the Gentiles, they are those who don't receive my message. Who, upon hearing the good news, reject it or they're violent against it. And what he's warning us is just be watchful about people that are, are like that to you. If they're that way toward you, it can actually cause more harm to you and to them by continuing to cram the pearls of the gospel down their throat, okay? Maybe you've been there before. Maybe at one time you'd say, man, I was, I was a dog or I was a pig. You know, I was violent toward anything having to do with religion or with God or with the gospel. And man, I didn't want any, any part of it until Jesus came in. He saved me, okay? And what we need to do as, as Christians is if we're trying to witness to someone that is, that is abusive toward the gospel, that's going to be violent and hateful toward us, what Jesus is teaching us is that there is a time to move on and just trust that God's Holy Spirit will work in their life. And you just keep on praying and praying and praying and you don't give up. But man, in order, to, in order that the gospel might not be trampled on, in order that they might not dig themselves in a deeper, deeper mud hole, that, uh, that you just uh, treat them with grace and continue just love and to pray for them. Don't give to dogs what's holy. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. And as we trust that his plans and his timing is better, um, we just believe that God will, will save those that um, he calls and that um, he can save even the worst of sinners. And that may be, may be you. That may be where you were. That may be where you are. And the message of the gospel is, man, it's not too late for you. It's not too late, no matter what you're practicing, no matter the secret sins that you, you have stored up, that you're man, like, God can't save me. God can't forgive me. I can't get over this. God can save you. He can redeem you. He can change you. He can change anyone that you're praying for. And let's have faith that God can do that. That's, that's the message right here. Don't judge lest you be judged. 
And if you think someone's too far away from, the, from, from, uh, from Jesus, man, that same measurement will be measured to you. So treat people with truth. Give them grace. Measure out to them what you have been measured to yourself. And trust that God will do the work of saving them. As we close, I'll just, um, just make two, two different statements just by way of summary. Is that the way in which we should judge the lives of other people should be consistent with the way in which we have also been judged by God and received his mercy and his grace. And that the call of Jesus upon our lives, if you have received his forgiveness, is that you show his grace and his love toward others in the way that it has been shown to you. So let's close our eyes, let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Ask God to apply this word to our hearts. As we pray, we just want to take a moment just quietly and, and um, we just want to invite God into this space of quietness just by asking, Lord Jesus, as we hear your word, God, you spoke this to us by your spirit, Holy Spirit. What are you saying? What are you saying to me right now? Just give a moment for you to just, just seek God in prayer and ask him for a word. Ask him for something that you need to change. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that on the cross you showed your perfect grace to us. Thank you, Lord, that for anyone that is here, that has yet to repent of their sins and follow you and be, an, be a bearer of your image that they might be in your eternal home. God, I pray that uh, today would be the day of salvation for him. As you say in scripture, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So if there's anyone that's here, you want to you wanna just express faith in Jesus. Just gonna gonna lead you just in responding to him. If Jesus is calling, just answer him right now. Repent of your sins, put your faith in him, put your trust in him. He is there to save you, to forgive you. And man, you can walk in freedom today. If that's you and you'd like to pray a prayer with me, just raise up your hand. I'd like, like to just, just lead you right now to receive Jesus and follow him. Anyone, anyone there? that's you and in your heart you want to just just receive Jesus right now pray with me Lord Jesus I trust you Lord I believe that because of all that I've done I've wronged you I've strayed away from you and Lord your judgment toward me is that I deserve death thank you Lord Jesus for dying in my place. Lord, I want to follow you. And I believe that because of your resurrection that I can live with you forever. God, give me your grace to live for you each day, to live for your kingdom and be your disciple. Here is my life, Lord. It is yours. In Jesus' name. Lord God, we thank you for all those that are following you. 
all those that are expressing faith in you right now, Lord, that are reaffirming their 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 desire to just be a part of your kingdom, part of your purposes. God, and as, as we close today, we just want to repent of the planks that are in our own eye, and we want to just commit ourselves, Lord, again, to just following you. As you said to your disciples, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Those people that we want to help, those people that, man, we see the specks in their eye, Lord, Lord, help us, Lord, to have the courage to remove our plank and, Lord, to be able to go to them in love and in grace and be able to measure out to them the same grace that, God, you've shown to us. Change our hearts, Lord. Change their hearts. And, Lord, may your gospel spread in this valley spread to Guatemala this week as our team goes. Lord, spread throughout our youth and our kids' ministry and our families that are here, God. May you do that work that you started. May you complete it. God, break down the strongholds that that Satan has in the hearts and lives of people. God, may your spirit come to dwell in them. Love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that your grace is enough, that you are good. And so we pray this all in precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.